Today on Ag News Daily. I mean, the autonomy thing is very new, right? And Raven is one of the most, probably the world leader. Like, you've got a lot of companies building robots and uh, autonomous machines, but this is a, a huge uh, group of technologies that were assembled around Raven. So we're here day two at the Commodity Classic in New Orleans. Uh, Tanner Winterhoff here alongside Delaney Howell coming to you live from the convention center above this show. Don't forget the Raven OmniPower 3200 is your autonomous power platform powered up. And uh, listeners, we had another fantastic day walking around the show, discovering the new technology. The number of new product releases down here has been astounding, but I think the buzz in the room, Delaney, has been the most fun for me. It seems like the people that are here genuinely want to be here and are curious about what the next steps are in agriculture. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of growers are down here learning. They're attending different seminars and sessions, seeing all of the new products that have been unveiled this week at Commodity Classic. It is a good time Good time to be down here, for sure. It is. And the other thing that I've noticed is even though the conversations are still very focused on agriculture, it's almost like a mini vacation from what's happening around <laughs> us. Yes. It still pops up every once in a while as, as conversations about Ukraine, mm-hmm. Russia, inflation, uh, everything that's tied to potential negative factors. But people are really celebrating agriculture and with the awards ceremony, celebrating each other. Yeah, absolutely. And Tanner, I've got to ask, you got an Apple Watch on there. How many steps have you walked today at the trade show? I just looked at mine. I'm at about three miles, which is pretty sad considering how large the trade show is. Yep. I'm just over 9,600, which is over four and a quarter miles. That's the other thing too, is uh, you're booking it down here when you're going to these (laughs) these trade show booths. They're, I don't even know, like a couple acres long, I would think. Yes. It's a substantial distance from one end to the other. And if you want to catch a general session, you got to go up to the second floor and walk that same yeah. distance again. So or go big, to the media room. Then you got to go up three, three. floors. And yes. Yeah. The escalators are nice. They are. Uh, but still, they don't save that many steps. <laughs> I need a golf cart next year. We should. <laughs> That's what we should. An Ag News Daily yeah, golf cart. I love that. Let's get the listeners together and that we will great. shuttle them around. Yeah. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome. But well, the first bad news. Oh. that I have to share okay. with everybody is our fuel prices are continuing to go up. This isn't a surprise to anybody, probably almost a waste of a news story, Delaney, but we are again breaking records. So the average in the nation for gasoline rose nearly seven cents yesterday. So today's reporting on Friday hasn't come out yet, uh, but that's a nationwide average of 4.32 a gallon. And uh, that clips the record previously set in July of 2008. But diesel is climbing even faster, 18 cents from Wednesday to Thursday for an average of 4.88 again. And that has just now eclipsed the high from July of 2008 of 484. Uh, so not great news, but we can get that one out of the way early in the show, Delaney. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I was having, having dinner with a couple of people from Chicago last night, and they said they think that their gas prices there in the cities is probably going to get up upwards of $6. Wow. I can't imagine paying that. Correct. That is that is astronomical. And I think that was where the average comes in. So clearly somebody's getting the benefit of this, paying some $3 prices. Uh, I, I guess so. They should let us know where that's at, <laughs> and maybe we'll come and get filled up. I would. It's more expensive to fill up a pickup truck now. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. And obviously part of that is just continued escalations between Russia and Ukraine. But we actually had some breaking news this morning. President Vladimir Putin was quoted saying that there have been, what he says, positive talks in 
their discussions with Ukraine. And he did go on to say that he had only been told that he wasn't involved in those discussions himself, but they are still occurring between the two countries. And hopefully we see something move quickly there. Well, it's positive that there's a positive spin. Well, um, that's a good way to look at but, it, too. But it's negative that he wasn't directly involved yes. in those conversations. So uh, I think until it gets to the point to where he can get to hear and see the sentiment of those conversations, it'll be a far stretch to see a lot of progress made. Yeah, I would agree. But not skating too far away from the connection to the the crisis between Russia and Ukraine and the farm show. Um, we've got all the major equipment dealers down here during this show to feature their products. But uh, in press releases that came out, they all are abiding by the sanctions put on Russia by the United States. They are halting uh, the shipment of their products to be sold there. They all, Case New Holland, Agco, and John Deere, all say that they are putting a high emphasis on the safety of their employees um, and the well-being of their dealers in that market. They also are continuing to say in this press release that uh, they are going to focus on the farmers in that area to make sure that their service has as little interruption as possible that they can stand. Um, but still, like I said, abiding by the sanctions put on by the U.S. The positive spin that we've heard around the show related to this news release is there's a potential that this could benefit North American farmers in the fact that some of the orders that are being built and assembled right now to be shipped to Russia could be available for now purchase of North American or other farmers around the world. So we might be able to put a little bit of additional supply in the market, not necessarily to bring down the cost of equipment, but maybe speed up deliveries. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in itself is a good takeaway from that story. And speaking of sanctions, Tanner, there's six South American nations that are proposing the exclusion of fertilizer from sanctions on Russia as they're continuing to deal with the same supply and demand issues that we're dealing with up here as well. But Brazil has secured the support of Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, and Paraguay and Uruguay for a proposal to exclude fertilizer products that will be submitted to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And Brazil's obviously an agricultural powerhouse. They probably consume just as much, if not more, fertilizer than the United States does. And they rely about 85% of the fertilizer needs for their grain crops coming from other export to, markets. To be imported. Yeah, yeah. Yes. it's a big issue that they're facing here in Brazil, just as well as we're facing here in America. And I think that's been the interesting thing I've heard a lot this week. Got some really good conversations talking about the biological space and how there's new companies bringing new products to light to help with some of those introducing biofertilizers and some other alternatives. So that commercial fertilizer, if you just simply can't get it, there's some alternatives out there on the marketplace to potentially work into your rotation. Yeah, and, and I would agree that it's fascinating to see the technology that can be done with natural aspects of the environment to help maybe get you by. If mm -hmm. you don't have to put a full rate on one year because of supply constraints uh, without having to give up product productivity, um, it could be a good solution for somebody to look into right now. Uh, I, I hate that on a Friday, because I missed that during the introduction. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. That, You're a, new. that a lot of our news is coming from the Ukraine and Russian conflict, but one that caught my eye that I couldn't not talk about because um, I hadn't even thought about nickel. 
but it's never happened before in the history of the nickel market. A 145-year-old exchange stopped trading this week. So after Tuesday, it was no longer traded. Uh, and that's because the price alone doubled in one day. So if you're talking the London Metal Exchange, which is where a majority of this nickel is traded, um, they halted the trading because it topped $100,000 per ton on the LME. So quite a significant jump. And this comes out of news that Russia was not going to export anymore because they're roughly 10% of the world's nickel mining production um, and holds about 7.5 million tons of that metal in their reserves. I, I thought this was interesting that it actually stopped trading but it made me more curious as to what nickel is used for. So Delaney, what? I was going to, okay. So this was my thing. This is a really silly question, but are nickels like the currency? Are they made out of nickels? Are so, they made out of nickel? So they used to be okay. made out of nickel. They have gone away from that. But right now the main use of nickel, according to Google <laughs> is that they are used to plate other metals to protect them. So mainly used okay. in making alloys such as stainless steel. Uh, it adds the nichrome, to, uh, which is an alloy of nickel to provide protection. So uh, if you are in the market for something that is stainless, you might, might be harder. Correct. This might be more a little expensive. bit more difficult and definitely mm. more expensive. I also have to say, I have a hard time believing that the nickel market is a highly voluminous market. It's not like corn and soybeans where there's a lot of funds entering into those markets to trade. So that might be something to take into consideration as well. Correct. I just was fascinated by the fact that it actually shut down. That's and it true. was shut down for more than one day. Um, but I would agree. It it probably has a smaller effect on things. Um, but as the headline stated, it was unprecedented. And we're sick of using the word unprecedented. <laughs> well, I won't use that word. Well, Tanner, before I get to my next story, I wanted to remind folks, of course, we are sponsored today by Raven Industries who is breaking new ground in precision and driverless ag solutions, delivering impactful technology to growers and custom applicators all around the world. From field computers to sprayers and planter controls, GPS guidance, steering systems, logistics, technology, and autonomous solutions, Raven provides precision agriculture products designed for ag retailers and growers to remain competitive and profitable into the future. Learn more at ravenprecision.com. But uh, we've been talking a lot about bird flu. And we've seen now some new updates just out of Missouri today with some new outbreaks. And uh, bird flu total, we're at about 2.8 million chickens and turkeys. I think we talked about this earlier in the week. But as I mentioned there, just one day after officials reported bird flu on a turkey farm in Missouri's Jasper County, they also confirmed another outbreak of HPAA. HPAI, that's a mouthful of the highly pathogenic avian influenza on a farm in a neighboring county there in Missouri in Lawrence County. So this has uh, actually increased the death toll to about 3.404 million birds, almost all of them chickens or turkeys. And in this case, in Missouri in particular, there was about 66,000 birds involved in the two outbreaks in Jasper and Lawrence County. The Missouri Department of Agriculture said they were commercial chickens, and we've now seen the outbreak list total 
27 outbreaks in 12 different states this year. So certainly continuing to keep an eye on that because as you think back to 2014, 2015, when we had the really bad epidemic, that was about 50 million chickens. So we're at about three right now. So still a long ways off of that number, but certainly starting to see more and more new cases reported. That still is alarming. Uh, as this continues to make news, it'll be something to watch as we go forward because, it, we, as we know, it is very susceptible to spreading. And if it's already in, what did you say, 12 or yes, 20? 12, 12 states. different states. Mm-hmm. Um, it could spread much quicker than we'd expect. And you have to think about it, too. I mean, I'd like to think that we're mostly past protein supply chain issues that we saw during COVID with uh, especially beef and p- pork processing shut down. But I think there's still other countries that are dealing with protein supply issues. And if we throw avian influenza into the mix, that certainly doesn't make it optimistic. Yeah, it does not. That That's quite an interesting twist mm-hmm. to what we're currently dealing with all over the world. You put that one back in our own backyard and it, you really got to take some careful consideration to that. You certainly do. So all I have left for our listeners today, Delaney, uh, is really non-agricultural related news. A lot of farmers and a lot of farms and a lot of ag business owners have dogs, uh, but there is a photographer that is capturing hilarious pictures of dogs eating little chunks of cheese to raise money for a charity. So since since we were talking so much about the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, uh, I wanted to leave a little frayer at the end of this to uh, have you go look it up. Thegoodnewsnetwork.org has dogs catching bites of cheese. All right. Fantastic, folks. You heard it here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I think the only thing we really have left to do today, Tanner, is to chat markets. And before we get into that, I wanted to remind folks, we're sponsored today by Raven Industries down here at the Commodity Classic. Given the ag market's labor constraints, the journey to full autonomy in agriculture has never been more relevant. What if we told you the autonomy is achievable for farmers today? Raven is here to help you at every step toward the fully autonomous farming future. Each innovative precision ag product on Raven's path to autonomy is designed to reduce operator fatigue, increase yields, and help feed a growing world population. Explore Raven's path to autonomy on ravenprecision.com. And Tanner, as we take a look at the markets today, we saw mixed trade across the grain markets. May corn closed six and three quarter cents higher to close at six, seven sixty two and a half. D's up three and a half cents, ending the day at six fifty five and a quarter. Soybeans showed weakness today as the May contract gave up ten and a quarter cent to close at sixteen seventy six. The November down just a penny and a quarter to close the day out at fourteen ninety one. Wheat finally saw some turnaround today as the Chicago May contract added 19.5 cents, settling Friday out at 11.06.5, December up 37 cents to close the week at 10.14. In the hard red winter wheat complex, the May contract today added 23.5 cents to close at 10.89, the December up 23.5 cents to close the week out at 10.61 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we saw green across the screen. April live cattle added $1.40 to close at 137.30. The June up 50 cents, settling the day at 132.95. Feeder cattle today added $1.72 in the April contract to end at 157.97. The May up $1.92.5 to close at 163.72. And in lean hogs, the April contract adding $2.62.5 today to close at a buck 02. 
the May up $2.77.5 to close at one ten fifteen. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. April today unchanged to close at twenty three eighty nine. The May added 23 pennies, closing the week at twenty four eleven. Without further ado, Tanner, let's turn it over to our conversation today with Ben Voss of Raven Industries. And we are here on day two of the Commodity Classic with another great interview today with Raven Industries. So we are going to have a conversation, Delaney, with Ben Voss. He is the Director of Sales for North America and Australia with Raven Industries. I can't wait to dive into the diverse background that he has now living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But sounds like he's been all over the world. So how's Ben doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, it's my first time in New Orleans considering how I've traveled all over the place, but here I am and it's been lovely and I here we are after COVID, everybody's excited to be back in a full trade show environment and networking and just meeting all the growers, meeting other other colleagues in the industry. It's been really great. So besides being the director of sales for North America and Australia, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do with Raven? Yeah, so uh, I grew up on a farm in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada, so quite a ways from uh, Sioux Falls, but uh, straight north. Uh, my farming background is uh, small grains mixed with cattle, and, uh, and then I bought the farm from my parents about 10 years ago, and I farm part-time, uh, work full-time at Raven. Um, I'm an agriculture engineer, went to university to design farm machinery, it's kind of been my ba- main background. Uh, did a few other things in between, uh, working in private equity and um, in various executive roles. And then uh, Raven uh, and I started chatting in 2020. And, you know, I was privy to the vision they had for autonomy and all of the precision farming technologies that have been part of Raven. And that really excited me. Uh, I have to say it, it, it's kind of like a chance of a, of a lifetime to get on board with a project like this at this stage not only to learn about it, but to contribute to it. Um, I've worked on farms in many countries, lived in Europe, worked on uh, farms in South America and Australia uh, and all over the U.S. So I I felt like everywhere I go, precision farming is is really, uh, it's not a, like a nice to have anymore. It's everybody needs it. Um, COVID really opened up everybody's exposure to labor issues. Right, you couldn't just have people fly in on the weekend to help you on the farm anymore. Uh, international borders are more strict, and when we have just the fact that the economy is roaring right now, and there's no job, like there's nobody to fill the jobs, let alone working on farms. So we we're finding like technology like this, it actually attracts a lot of people back to agriculture. You know, people that would have gone into a high tech career thinking farming wasn't that modern or interesting. Well, we're using all the latest tech. I mean, this is not just um, basic tractors anymore and, and combines. We're, we're automating things and using software, remote systems, making these machines operate independently. And like we're standing right beside a machine right now that has no cab on it, right? And it, it drives itself in the field. That's it's really neat to see all of the cool tech that's come to the ag space within the last you know, 10, 15 years and the boom that we've really seen in that ag tech space. I'm curious, though, you mentioned you've just been with Raven since 2020. Had you worked in the autonomous space prior to this or did you kind of get to dip your toes in the water here with Raven? 
Well, indirectly, I've been working in precision farming for quite a few years. And so Raven and I were at the company I was before we were working together. So that's how I got to know Raven. That's how they got to know me. And um, I, I mean, the autonomy thing is very new, right? And Raven is one of the most, probably the world leader. Like you've got a lot of companies building robots and uh, autonomous machines, but this is a, a huge uh, group of technologies that were assembled around Raven through acquisition. And that all happened about the same time as I joined. So I was kind of coming in while this whole thing was unfolding. And uh, prior to that, I've, you know, I've spent, like I mentioned, spent time farming myself. I know personally what it's like. I've worked in farm machinery companies. I know what they're looking for from a technology perspective. Um, and seeing how not only it evolves in each country a little differently, but what is in common amongst all whatever you know it doesn't matter what language what what type of farming people are doing there's a lot of things that we see at raven now and and i feel uh even though i've only been here a little while i've it's come on pretty quick and i have enjoyed just contributing and being part of a big team that that builds this whole thing out so we're standing next to the omnipower 3200 which is the upgraded fully autonomous piece of equipment to be instilled in the agricultural world i gotta ask is one of the company perks of working at raven industries being able to run this stellar piece of equipment on your farm uh no uh no i'm not a big enough farmer for that uh although there are there's not only small but big farms that use it but um you know i wish that would be nice uh but i am you know, a lot of the pe- thing that I guess that I try to explain to people is this this is an amazing machine. It does work autonomously, but it is built up of components that go into tractors, sprayers, combines that people use for auto steer, for rate control, for automation of their machinery. So it's like Lego blocks that we've put together to make this machine, right? And, uh, and throughout the industry, you can find that are the exact same computers and software running this machine on driven machinery. In fact, there's five or six companies here today that have Raven right on their equipment. Right? We're part of their infrastructure of how they run their equipment, the autonomy that goes into it. So uh, autonomy isn't just one you know, singular, singular moment. It's, we we def- kind of refer to it like a journey. There's varying stages. There's lots of increments to getting more and more and more autonomy. Yeah, we got to talk about that yesterday, Delaney, with Paul. And uh, it probably, as director of sales, being a farmer yourself and wishing you had the Omnipower (laughs) 3200 on your farm makes it pretty easy to discuss with your team the pain points that this solves. So so what do you see this being the most advantage? What most advantage will this provide the farmer? Yeah, it's it, it's actually a neat thing about Raven is there's a lot of farmers work here, and that gives us a very practical understanding of the market. So we we do enjoy a lot of farm kids that have come to work at Raven, including myself. And the farmers that are currently either owning this machine or using it with us as a partnership have found like first step for them is that they want to learn about autonomy and this is the best way to get there it's the first machine that is as advanced as this on the market so they 
they get involved to learn to, to figure out how do they have to automate their, their entire farm. Because it's not just the machine you have to think about. You have to think about planning your fields and mapping them and putting other infrastructure in place. Like if you don't have good cell coverage, you got to be able to connect to the machine. These are all little details that have to be thought through. So the first step is a lot of them are, are embracing the machine to get that stuff figured out. Then once they get trained and they learn about how to run an autonomous machine, then they start to figure out how to make it efficient and start achieving those other bigger objectives like labor reduction and better use of machinery. For example, we're seeing a couple of our customers experiment with where they sit in the cab of a conventional machine and mm. operate this machine beside them together in the field. And that's pretty neat. Like There's a, a bit of it out there on YouTube. You can see a few demos that these guys have done on their own, but it's... It's pretty neat when you start thinking about how one person now is running two machines. Yeah, at the same time. Yeah. It's neat. And so yesterday we chatted with Paul kind of about the stack that's within this new model. But with your perspective, talking to a lot of sales reps and I assume customers as well in your role, what conversations led the new developments, the new components in the 3200 versus the previous model? Sure. Well, Raven acquired this product from another company uh, in Canada, actually, and they had done a lot of good design work in terms of um, moving it forward from concept to, we call it like alpha or beta phase testing. And when you start putting a prototype in the field, you start to reveal all the little things about it that you'd think, well, I sure like to change this or change that. And then you have to also start thinking about, well, we got to make this friendly for manufacturing, right? There's got to be little things that you want to change that are going to make it easier to, to produce it. So uh, it made sense. And Raven was in a, uh, an aggressive expansion phase of our engineering teams. We brought on some talent that had the backgrounds in machine design. And we were able to introduce a whole number of, I would call them like incremental improvements. When you compare the two versions, the older generation and this one side by side, they look very similar. But when you get up close, you see all the refinements. Mm -hmm. Like the hydraulic lines are now all neatly uh, placed on the frame, more professionally laid out. Uh, we've enhanced the machine with a lot of strength features. So we've increased the, the, the steel thickness. We've added a lot of structural strength to the machine to give it more capacity to handle the extra power we've added to the machine. It's got a new engine. Just all those uh, add up. And uh, when we launched this yesterday, it's really the first public uh, sneak peek of this. And uh, there aren't very many of these yet. We're still, obviously, a lot of people know about the supply chain thing that's hitting the world right now. So we are uh, planning to build some more later this year. But it's uh, it obviously gets a lot of attention. People want to try it. They see what we've got here. And uh, we had a lot of fun actually running it all across the Midwest last year. So it was it was fun to have a conversation with Paul yesterday, and he explained just what you did that this is a bigger, faster, stronger model. But what we didn't talk about in that conversation, what was most exciting to me, having worked on equipment in the field, having worked on it in a shop, is you made sure that you made improvements to all the hydraulic, electrical, mounting systems, everything focused on increased serviceability. So mm -hmm. things will go wrong with equipment. And Absolutely. it's nice to know you, yeah. you as uh, an engineering team at Raven put a focus on making sure we can still take care of this technology once it's running. Yeah, absolutely. It was a big part of the thought process around, you know, autonomous farming is a whole new business model, even when you think about how it's going to be done in the future. 
it's not the traditional farming practice so you have to start thinking about how is this going to be serviced who's going to be able to come out with software background and mechanical background and deal with all these things i mean a lot of modern farm machinery is very electrical these days too right there's a lot of sensors and software and computers on there this is even more right and and then you've got the operational aspects of how do you set up the software and how do you lay out the missions that have to occur. All of that is another layer of knowledge that has to be thought through. And we felt that to, for this to really get mass adoption in the market, Raven had to invest into the core machine right from the ground up. And it gave us the hands-on knowledge of what's going to happen in farm machinery in the next two or three decades. Like. Autonomy is happening faster than people thought, just given what I explained earlier about labor and the, the pandemic and everything, and now commodity prices where they are. But I'd say uh, if we take the knowledge we've acquired through all this process and now make that available to the manufacturers of other farm equipment who are asking, like, how do I take the tech stack out of this machine, put it in another machine? That's where you see all that hard work that we did in understanding the relationship between the control system and the mechanical systems and how every little detail matters, that gives us a, a really huge head start in terms of how we put this in the market. And it's been really interesting. We talked a lot yesterday about that path to autonomy or really where farmers are at in that adoption process. But I assume we were talking mostly about U.S. American farmers yesterday when we were talking to Paul, but with your role as the director of sales for not only North America, but also Australia, mm-hmm. I guess a couple of questions come to mind because I always think it's interesting to learn about farming in other parts of the world. And a lot of farmers yeah. watch farm videos of other farmers farming, That's right. which is hilarious to me to watch that. But with this piece of technology, two questions. One, was it built with U.S. farmers in mind? And when you look at those farmers you work with in Australia, where are they at in the adoption of this type of technology compared to U.S. farmers? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I would say first off, I mean, because the the product was developed actually in Canada, I mean, we think of Canada and the U.S. as pretty pretty close friends, right? They're, the farming practices are quite integrated and similar um, Canadian farming is generally small grains, broad acre. So we're talking wheat, canola, uh, not row crops as much. Uh, Eastern Canada, there is definitely corn, soybeans, row crops. But um, so this machine was built for really scale farmers, or you know the large, uh, the large enterprise farms that are uh, growing quite quickly these days and are looking to be able to cover a lot of acres and do things with less labor. Um, Australia, uh, interestingly enough, has all a very similar farming system as the Midwest and and Canada. So the, but the farm sizes in Australia are massive, like way bigger than anywhere else that you can imagine. Uh, hundreds of thousands of acres is typical, and so what we're seeing is that uh, the adoption for this technology is similar in all three markets. Like what they want to do with it, right now we're do, we're focusing on spreading dry fertilizer and spraying operations. Well, spraying is now advancing quite quickly towards, do you want me to pause for a sec? Okay. Towards uh, spot spray, smart spray technology. And that is a tedious task. It's repetitive. You cover a lot of ground. Autonomous technology is really uh, exciting when it comes to where are we going to go with spot spray. So I'm... uh, 
I'm thinking like when you look at U.S. farmers and what they're asking for from autonomy, Canadian farmers and Australian, they're all asking the same thing. So we definitely have kept them all in mind. That's great. And that was a good question, Delaney, because I was curious as well. But now as director of sales comes the payoff question. (laughs) You're drumming up a lot of excitement at Commodity Classic. You're going to continue to drum up excitement now that this has been released. How can a listener get one if they want one or, or like to take a look a little bit closer? Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a really hard question, um, because you're right. Like we are, we're getting overwhelmed with interest, and that we want to make sure we do this right. So we don't have a huge number of machines available. The word Paul, Paul probably uses were sold out, but I mean, we right now most of the active users have gone through a pretty rigorous commitment to what we expect them to do on their end to, to embrace this technology so that make it successful yeah so it isn't i wouldn't say mass uh numbers going to the general public yet and that's it's not in any way towards the market's interest it's our needs to get the machine to the stage or where it, it meets the needs of of farmers that want to buy it in that kind of scale and of course, we can't ignore the fact that we've been acquired by CNH, right? And CNH has got a huge interest in how do they put this technology across their fleet of machinery. Autonomy is a big focus for them, and so we we do see, I think, a pretty a pretty neat step between here, where we are with this machine, and what farmers are looking for, and just incrementally getting some of this technology out to conventional machinery. That's probably. The first thing I would point people to is to say, you know, this is, you can come and you can experience the machine. You can participate with one of the partners that have one right now and, and, you know, bring it on your farm and they can do a few farming tasks. You can learn about it. Right. You can operate it maybe. And boy, wouldn't you like to take some of the things you learned from that and put it in your tractor Mm -hmm. or your sprayer, right? So we go back to the stair steps, Delaney, that we had talked about two fully autonomous farming and it sounds like that's a good place for listeners to jump into is make sure you've climbed all the steps up and then when you're when you're interested reach out but this has been another great conversation down here at the quantity classic delaney we want to thank ben voss who's the director of sales for north america and australia so taking everybody's uh, thoughts and desires for autonomy and agriculture into consideration as they continue to upgrade and develop the omnipower 3200 which we just unveiled down here at the commodity classic so ben thank you again for jumping on this interview with us and we hope you have a great show yeah thanks tanner delaney it was great to talk to you Well, again, a big thank you there to Ben and to Raven Industries for bringing us down here to the Commodity Classic. Certainly had a lot of great conversations with them. And we've learned a lot this week, Tanner. We have, not just from those conversations, but just from being here in general. Uh, I know it's on a lot of listeners' bucket list to come to Commodity Classic, and I would say rightfully so. Um, What I wished we'd have talked to Ben a little bit more about is the fact that uh, in his bio, it states he's been to 35 different countries. And we didn't dive into how diverse his world of travel has been. Um, But what an interesting guy, a great interview. And like you said, we learned a bunch. We certainly did. Folks, we're going to be continuing these conversations of things we learned at Commodity Classic next week on the podcast. So be sure to stay tuned for those exciting conversations coming up. But in the meantime, Tanner, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.